Hi, and welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. This is Dr. Sadaf Lodi, and I would love for you to leave me a review of this podcast and also to share and like it and share it with your friends, see what they think and let me know. I would love to shout you out on social media. And also, I would love for you to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Sadaf OBGYN, as well as TikTok. I also have started a YouTube channel at Dr. Sadaf Intimacy Coach. I'd love for you to follow me on all of those channels. And most importantly, I'd love for you to become a patient. I am now accepting telehealth patients for sexual health as well as menopause health in New York and Michigan. So if you are a woman that is looking for a doctor that understands you and can actually take the time to listen to all of your concerns, reach out to me. Reach out at drsadaf at drsadaf.com. And I would love to see you as a patient. And now for the episode. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sadaf Lodi. This episode is everything you need to know about mindfulness. And before I get into it, the very first thing I want to make very clear is that I'm not giving any type of medical advice. So if you're having any medical issues, please go see your healthcare provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please speak with your friendly neighborhood religious leader. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So today I have on with me the renowned and ever so famous Dr. Rashmi Shram. And Dr. Rashmi, I am so happy to have you on. I've been kind of stalking you, not in a bad way, but on Instagram and looking at your posts about mindfulness and you know everything that you do. And I'm really excited to have you on. So thank you so much for joining us. And if you could let our audience know about who you are and how you got here and what you do. Amazing. I am so grateful to be here and I have never been introduced in this way. So I am like over the moon right now. So yes, I'm Dr. Rashmi Shram. I am a board certified family physician. I'm also a certified Ayurveda and meditation teacher. I'm also a coach and I help busy professionals, almost all exclusively women. I help them to tap into their own inner peace and power so they can confidently live more energetic and fulfilling lives. And I am- wow. I'm to stop you right there because that's amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Energetic. So you said energetic and fulfilling. Fulfilling lives. That is amazing. I love it. Okay, keep talking. <laughs> so, so, you know, in that way, I think where mindfulness intersects with what you talk about on your podcast and the work that you do is just an absolutely perfect um, amalgam to be to be here with you today. Yeah, I love that. So I am super excited. You know, we were uh, you and I were talking a little bit offline about all the different ways that intimacy and mind mindfulness are related and in all the different aspects of our life, right? Like, so you can apply both of those things to really everything. 
And, um, you know, I'm excited for you to teach us a few things or so. So why don't you um, kind of tell the listeners and the audience about what you do with your uh, coaching and how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So my coaching, I do group as well as private. And so my coaching really, um, it's it's based in a mind-body connection and in the context of environment. And so really each each of the coaching is, is always supercharged with meditation. And meditation, just for the sake of like definition, um, because it can be a hashtag and so can mindfulness, um, I just usually like to define it. So meditation is just, it's very simple. It's just the journey from activity into stillness. And so it's not like we're creating anything. We're not creating the stillness or the silence that's already there. We're just tapping into it. It's a formal practice of mindfulness. And mindfulness also is a hashtag. And so I like to define that as well. So mindfulness is generally described as the awareness that arises when we are paying attention to this present moment without judgment and with curiosity. And it is simple, but it can be very difficult to practice it because over the years, um, we've become quite accustomed to lots of layers of stress um, and conditioning that keep us from being able to, to fully tap into that mindful way of being. But if you look at you know, young kids, three, four, five, six-year-olds, they are already always mindful. They don't have to try to be mindful. Their parents absolutely don't need to teach them to be mindful. They're already in the present moment and they're already curious and they're not judging. And so that's really our intrinsic nature that we're tapping into. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that there are so many distractions, right? And so many things pulling us that it's hard to just be present in the moment and and of course you know we are always judging right we're always judging every we're judging ourselves we're judging others we're judging why this person didn't do this and why this person didn't call me back and they must be awful and i must be awful whatever right so it's um it's a really hard practice i mean it's so easy to say but it's super hard to do i find you know so how do you help your clients achieve that yeah. And, you know, we don't have to be mindful all the time. We can really just bring in even just tiny bits of mindfulness into our lives and it can support so many different areas of our lives. So to me, meditation is the fastest way in that, you know, that's something that a lot of mindfulness practitioners will definitely agree on is mindfulness is the fastest way to kind of flex and, and strengthen the muscle of mindfulness, right? Because what we're doing in meditation is noticing the distractions and coming back to the thing that we're focusing on, whether it's the breath or a mantra or um, a guided meditation, the thoughts aren't a problem. Just like when the phone dings or if someone needs you for you know a variety of reasons, it's not a problem. It's just if you set out to do a task and you set out this amount of time, then we get to do it. So in that way, it is a skill. So you know, to answer your question, it is a skill that we can practice, that we can continue to get better at to increase our satisfaction with life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I find that that's, um, that's what everybody just wants, right? Like, um, I think there was a quote that somebody stated, and let me know if you remember it, is that if there's the point of life is joy, and if it's not that, then what is the point? Is <laughs> What was it? That yeah, yeah. yeah, it was Deepak Chopra quote that I got up and said at our meeting this, you know, this last weekend. And it was it, it wasn't even the point of his talk. And he it was just a, a, like a, a meeting. And he just said, you know, if joy isn't the marker for success, then why bother? Yeah, that's so true, right? 
That's so true. And so I think looking and finding that joy within yourself and even whatever your metric is for success, right? But just finding the joy in it is automatically going to make everything worthwhile. Um, you know what I would love? I would love for you to uh, guide us through a meditation if you would. Absolutely. I love what you said about joy. And if I may, I actually, what I have noticed in my years of coaching is even though the joy might be right here in front of us, we actually guard against it a lot of times. Yeah. We guard against joy. So it isn't yeah. that joy isn't here. We guard against it. You know, that's so deep because you're right, right? We're, we're afraid uh, to find that joy. We're, I don't know what it is. I, I'm wondering if it's because we're afraid it's so fleeting, like we don't, we're afraid we're gonna just, you know, if we if we allow ourselves to experience joy, experience pleasure, is it just gonna go away? Are we never gonna find it again? Is it so fleeting so that we guard it because we don't want it? Because, you know, it's, it's a thing, right? Like if you don't know what you're missing, then you don't miss it. Maybe. Right? Maybe those are all thoughts, you know, maybe, but joy is that felt sense, right? It's that felt sense of like, oh my gosh, it's an open hearted felt sense. And Brene Brown does a lot of, um, does a lot of work around this. And, you know, what is right there with joy is vulnerability. That's kind of what you're mm -hmm. describing, right? And so it, it's a very vulnerable place to be because like you said, if we guard against joy, then we don't have to worry about, oh my God, there's something terrible around the corner because I'm allowing myself to feel this joy. And so it can, again, that's just that awareness as we become aware of it, then maybe we can have a tiny bit of space. Maybe there is a little space to lean into joy. Maybe it's okay to experience it. I love what you just said, because that reminds me of, actually that takes me right to what I talk about, which is intimacy, right? And so I help women with sexual confidence so they can find pleasure in their relationship. And that's similar to what you're talking about with joy. And, you know, maybe we can get close to it. Maybe we can experience it. And same thing with pleasure, right? It, are we allowing ourselves to experience pleasure? What are the thoughts around that? You know, are we not deserving? Are we deserving? But, you know, maybe there's just not enough time. Maybe there's too much stress. Maybe there's other chores that take precedence right? Maybe it's the other person's satisfaction that you're so worried about that you don't care about your own. And so are you allowing yourself or giving yourself permission to experience that pleasure? So that's so interesting that you say that. Um, but I would love for that guided meditation if you would. Oh, sure. Yeah. So let's do that. So obviously, if somebody is listening and driving, please don't close your eyes. But, you know, if you're able to uh, or come back to it, mark it, come back to it and let's practice. We'll just do it. Practice a very short meditation. So generally, you really don't need any fancy hookup for anything. It's just best if you can sit up straight. I usually say in a tall, dignified position. You can have back support if you want it. Um, and then just if you're comfortable with it, very gently closing the eyes. And hands just gently on the lap. And let's just begin by taking a few deeper breaths and exhaling with an audible sigh. This actually increases vagal tone. And when you exhale, I want you to just let go of whatever's not serving you right now. Oh, just letting it go. And on that same vein of giving ourselves permission, so much of what we 
move through in life is giving ourselves permission. So just notice if you can give yourself permission amongst your busy day, amongst the many tasks. So just be right here in this moment, in this moment beyond the predictable future, just right here. It's where infinite possibilities lie. Just give yourself permission. And just put your attention on your breath, not trying to alter it in any way. Just noticing the in-breath, the out-breath. Notice if it's possible to drop the shoulders away from the ears. Is it possible to relax the jaw just a bit? I'm just giving yourself permission to have a complete open awareness of whatever thoughts may be arising. Just noticing the thoughts, not trying to control them, not trying to make them go away. Just noticing the thoughts. Now just return your attention back to your breath breath that is always with us, connecting the body and the mind, just noticing it. And with your attention on your breath, just let's ask ourselves a simple question and see what answers arise. Let's ask ourselves, what am I grateful for? What are the many blessings in my life? Just noticing what arises without the need to analyze or judge. Just letting the question and the answers, let them go and just return back to the breath. Once again, just noticing the breath. And when your mind has wandered, you've done nothing wrong. Just returning back to the breath. Now just taking a couple of deeper breaths, giving yourself permission to return back to the room, back to your surroundings, still keeping the eyes closed. 
perhaps wiggling the toes and the fingers and bringing in a deep sense of contentment, deep sense of gratitude for yourself, for your higher self, for creating this space in your busy life. And just when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. It was amazing, Rashmi. Your voice is so calming. No wonder you are, everyone loves to be in your group. That was amazing. I loved it. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. My pleasure. You know, so I'm I'm really curious to find out um, in your sessions and with your groups and your group coaching, you know, how do people find that the meditation has helped them in terms of their relationships, you know, with their spouses or their children and their family? What have you noticed? Yeah, you know, mindfulness gives us the ability to connect more deeply when we are connected to ourselves. One of the main tenets of how we practice within the group and one-on-one -on -one is to bring in a huge dosage of self-compassion, right? Because a lot of a lot of the irritability and a lot of the disconnect comes from what we might be feeling within our own selves when that harsh inner critic has taken kind of control over what's you know what's going on. Um, and when we can quiet down the harsh inner critic, have self-compassion, um, it actually makes for more altruism. It makes for more empathy. It makes for more compassion. And all of those things lead to deeper listening. And of course, as we know, deeper listening leads to better relationships. And so in that way, mindfulness can be tied to um, not just ourselves, but those around us as well. I love that. You know, um, we also know that there's been lots of studies that have shown that mindfulness actually increases desire and arousal. And, you know, I'm just wondering if, you know, you would know why that would be. I guess one thought that comes to my mind is that, you know, you're just giving yourself the ability to just focus on what it is that you're doing and that time that you have with that person and whether it is, say, your intimate personal time with, you know, your partner or if it's um, just focusing on them, right, without all the other distractions and I would think that because you're able to just focus on one thing and that, you know, that person, then automatically that arousal and that desire tends to show up. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a really good hypothesis. That's a great question. I'm not sure that there is definitely a known answer, but if I had to guess, I would guess exactly what you just described, which is, are we able to remove some of the distractions, some of the competing priorities that Oof, they come right up, right? There's um, a million different tasks, a million different um, people and things that need your attention. And if you've been practicing just, you know, being able to just still be in the present moment and say, yes, and yes, I do need to do 50 things, um, or I think I need to do those 50 things. And I can still be right here in this moment for this amount of time with this person that I'm deeply connected to who um, I want to be with. Right, right. And I think that, um, you know, also it has to do with, like you had mentioned, right, being showing compassion to ourselves and also changing our thoughts about what we're thinking. There's also been other studies that have done that have shown that the uneven distribution of household chores has, you know, significantly affects desire in women, which makes sense, right? If we're always worried about, or you're always doing, you know, the dishes or the laundry, and plus you're working outside the home, plus you're taking care of children, plus you're managing everything, of course, that's going to decrease your desire, right? And also just not being able to 
um, you know, when you have so much stress, you're also worried about whatever other things you have going on in your home. And so you're not able to focus. So I think that just bringing your attention to the present moment and focusing on whatever it is that you're doing at that moment without judgment and showing yourself compassion is going to lead to more inner love, self-love, which will then you'll be able to also manifest to your partner or to your child. And I think that all around, you know, it's going to help. Um, I'm wondering also what you can, what you think about like positive intelligence and mindfulness, right? They seem to go very well together. What do you think? Yeah. And in fact, they are kind of the same thing. Um, I think, uh, you know, we can call them all kinds of different things, but the practice of being able to look at our thoughts and, and, and shift those thoughts, they've been around in every wisdom tradition for thousands of years. And I, I would actually equate the two together. Um, and when you look at some of the practices, they are, mind, they are mindfulness, but they've, they just got a different name. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that, you know, with, um, and same thing with that positive intelligence, you know, they talk about the judge and you had mentioned about the inner critic, right? That's so strong in all of us. Um, and he talks about, Shirzad Shamina talks about, you know, the um, the judge in us and the sage and the saboteur and how um, the saboteur is always judging and uh, being so critical of others and of ourselves and how the sage goes to do the opposite and show more compassion and compassion toward others and trying to find a gift in everything that happens to you. So I think that that probably has a lot of similarities to mindfulness. And like you said, it's probably um, doing something similar, right? But it's just showing us that we can have self-compassion and, um, and love ourselves and others and by just focusing our attention on them. Yeah. And one of the one of the things that generally comes up anytime I talk about self-compassion or, or teach it is, you know, people will say, well, you know, I actually think that my inner critic has has kept me on edge. I actually think I've accomplished what I've accomplished because of my yeah. inner critic. And it's a very common thread that I'll see. And I used to think that too. I was like, you know what? Like, I think I'm, I think I've achieved this, this, and this because of my inner critic. But we have studies now, published studies, peer-reviewed published studies that show that's actually not real. That's actually not true. In fact, we actually can accomplish more if we were able to leave the baggage of the inner critic. And so mm -hmm. looking at it from a scientific standpoint, rather than it being anything philosophical is always so helpful. Yeah, it's awesome. So if you were to give our listeners and our audience um, three pearls of wisdom, what would you suggest in terms of mindfulness and um, you know ways that you can bring it into your life? What would you suggest? Ooh, this is a good one. Just three. Okay. <laughs> well, as many as you want. <laughs> I'd love to hear as many as you are willing to share. Well, you know, I think uh, a big misconception is that more is better, right? It, a big misconception just amongst, you know, I'm, I'm assuming whoever's listening, they're very busy, right? And so, and so filling up the calendar and being very busy is, is, is kind of the right thing, right? And sometimes, and I talk about how busyness can be a status symbol as well. And we're all prey to that. It's not just, you know, any one person, it's, it's a societal conditioning. And so giving ourselves permission to do less 
can give us the ability to focus more and do the one thing that actually matters a lot, a lot more deeply. And so giving ourselves permission for depth is a huge thing in this day and time when there are a million different distractions. So doing less, but accomplishing more is what I would say. And that's a skill, of course, that we get to that we get to develop. And along the same lines as what we really just talked about, which is becoming aware of the inner critic and and deciding to practice self-compassion and that is by the way a lifelong practice because the inner critic you know she's not going anywhere and it's not a problem it's just we have to become aware that that's not really who we are we're not our thoughts we're not our emotions and so practicing self-compassion would be really the second one and the third one is say, you know, we touched on it already, which is giving ourselves permission. And most of the time, we are the ones standing in our own way. And we have internalized whatever oppression that we may have thought was outside into the inside. And so noticing how actually powerful we are when we give ourselves permission, whether it's permission to do, whether it's permission to feel, permission to whatever it is, right? So, um, you know, permission to start a podcast named the Muslim Sex Podcast. You had to give yourself permission first, right? So just just becoming that, you know, in that aware and giving ourselves permission over and over again. That's what I would say. I love it. Those are awesome. Yeah. I think that, you know, giving yourself permission is probably one of the biggest things, right? We've, whether it's, whether it's the way we were raised, whether it's the way that our culture is, whatever, you know, whatever it is that holds you back, right? Doesn't allow you to grow and it doesn't allow you to own what you do really can cause problems, right? And cause a lot of mental drama. And so that's it. But you know, whatever that thing was at some point probably served something for us at some point, but probably stopped serving us 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that just allowing yourself to be and being mindful with your own self, right? and being compassionate with your own self um, and giving yourself permission to do whatever it is that resonates with you, as long as, of course, you know, you're not harming anyone else. But, um, you know, really, I think is a, a source of freedom for us, right? And to experience life and to experience joy. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is what exactly. we're talking about coming full circle. So I just love everything you talked about, Rashmi. Just everything. I think it's amazing. And I think your voice is so calming. And I think that people are just going to want to work with you. So tell them how they can reach you, work with you, how they can follow you and uh, be a stalker in a good way, not in a bad way. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would love that so much. So my website is really simple. It's just my name. It's rashmishram.com. And there actually you'll find a couple of little places where you can um, schedule a free um, 30 minute session with me to see if you want to work with me uh, on a one on one private client basis. I do one on one. I also do group coaching right now. My group coaching is not open, but it will be very shortly. And, you know, I am on Instagram. Um, My handle is the same on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. It's just Dr. Rashmi Shram. So it's DR period Rashmi Shram. And so I would love to connect there. I also also have a YouTube channel, same handle. So if you go to YouTube, type that in, you'll find me. And I have lots and lots of free meditations and free videos on YouTube that you might enjoy as well. 
That's awesome. You know, one thing that um, you didn't tell us about is your journey, how you got here. And um, I think we kind of went over that a little bit. So I, I'd love to know, you know, you're a physician, but now you are a meditation coach. So I just kind of want to know, like, how that happened. Yeah, I love that question, because it comes back to that permission and self-compassion and all of that same stuff, right? So for me, this journey started probably about 11 years ago when my kids were little and I was going through what I now recognize as just like a slow churn burnout in every aspect of my life. It wasn't just at work. It was just everywhere. And I did not know how to deal with it. I had had lots of exposure to yoga, to meditation, to that kind of Ayurvedic lifestyle. As a child, I grew up in, in in India and Bangalore went until I was 12, lived in this huge, um, you know, extended family, uh, which was just this boisterous, gigantic place where my grandmother would, um, you know, teach me all kinds of different things that only boys were supposed to know. And so it was this beautiful amalgam of being able to be immersed in that. So I, um, I had touched on meditation a little bit. I was a closet meditator in college and never told anyone I was a meditator because I was afraid. And then finally, you know, in my thirties, I started, you know, kind of restarting some meditative practices. It was super helpful for me when I was feeling burned out and really stressed out, not just, you know, mentally, but I also started to have like chronic daily migraines. I started to have GI issues. I waited all the way till I had lots and lots of physical ailments as we normally do to start to look for help. And and I found, you know, meditation was helping me balance so much in my life, but I couldn't keep up with any kind of regular practice. I was like a, you know, like a crisis meditator. There would be a crisis. I would meditate. It would help a little bit. Forget about it. And so one day I found a meditation teacher training that required me to sign and say, look, I'm going to meditate every day for the next 18 months. And that was part of the contract. And I was like, that's what I need. And so I signed up to be a meditation teacher because I needed the community and the accountability. And that was so long ago. And that was the first of, you know, a gazillion other trainings, because obviously once that door opens, it never there's no there's no end to the amount of trainings you can do. And that's how I got started with it. And that's honestly why I stay with it as well. Um, you would think it would be purely altruistic, which I mean, there's plenty of that there. But a lot of this is because I need this myself because I have a tendency to swing all the way over here. I run really hot. I can get really irritable. I can get all the things, which doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve anyone around me. And so, um, you know, coming back to <laughs> coming back to a sense of balance is really why I do what I do. I love it. That's a, that is really, and I find that a, a lot of times when people end up doing, um, certain, um, specific things or, you know, reaching out to a specific niche, I feel like that's because of a need that they themselves had. Yeah. Right? So they're fulfilling their own need, but doing it, serving others as well. So they're helping. So it's a win-win. So they're helping themselves, but they're also helping others to also achieve the same type of, I don't know, what, what would you call it? Same type of- All the same results, right? So what I think a good coach can do, what you can do, what I can do is we take what might take five or six years and we squeeze it into three months. That's really how I see the work that I do, which is yeah. you don't have to read 26 books and listen to, you know, yes, you can get all of those things, but we are, you know, we're herd animals. We learn from each other. And so that's yeah. why the one-on-one -on -one or the, even the group, but any kind of personal kind of touch is so powerful, even though of course information is out there, but it's not the same as coaching. And so really I say that I accelerate 
I accelerate it. Can you get the same results as my clients get in eight years? Absolutely. Yes, you can. Um, there's no question about that. But do you want to get them in three months? Come work with me. That is, you know, you you bring a very, very good point. And that is right when sometimes when people are like, well, why? You know, I don't understand why the coaching costs X, Y and Z. And, you know, I think you stated very clearly that or, you know, very succinctly is that you've all the training that you've done over eight years, you bring it you condense it to three months so that they can get those same results, you know, and same thing with our training, right? Like I've been an OB for now almost 20 years outside of residency, right? And so, you know, along with the sexual health that, you know, I spent over a year with, plus the coaching, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And so you bring all of that training and learning and you condense it down to three months. And so that's why, you know, you're able to get those results for your clients or your patients because you've spent so long trying to learn it and then, you know, rehash it. And so that it's more digestible and they're able to get those results in a short amount of time. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Right. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Shram, for coming on and enlightening us and helping us to meditate. And I think it was so amazing to have you on to actually walk us through one of your meditations. So that was fantastic. And everyone, please be sure to follow Dr. Shram on all of her channels because her voice is just, all you need to do is listen to her voice and you'll feel very relaxed and uh, more at peace. So well, I am done here and it's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. If you're having any issues with your health, please speak with your healthcare provider. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. So thank you for listening to the podcast and make sure you leave us a review, share and like the podcast. And if you leave me a review, I'd love to shout you out on social media. So be sure that you share it with all your friends. And thanks for listening.